Whether you've overdone it at the gym, at the dinner table, or on the couch, AHM Health Insurance have a cover for you. Join direct at ahm.com.au. On 11.16 SEN, this is the Flag Flyers for the American-Australian Association devoted to strengthening relations between the United States and Australia. Hello everyone and welcome to the Flag Flyers, the place where we profile and chat about all the Aussies flying the flag for us in the US of A. I'm Christopher Tyler. Alongside me is not Lockie Miller, it's Xavier Player. Hello man. Hey Chris, how you doing? I'm very well. Welcome back to the show. You uh, of course have co-hosted for me in the past when Lockie's been overseas. He's again overseas for the next couple of weeks I think. I can't exactly remember the, the, the dates but uh, you will be sitting uh, with me for at least today so thank you for uh, for coming in and, and filling Lockie's seat. You're a lot more attractive than he is I've got to say. Thank you very much and thank you for having me. No worries. So we normally talk to you about uh, all the stuff uh, about what's going on in the uh, Major League Baseball with all the Aussies. We'll get to that very shortly but You'll also be asked to uh, do a whole bunch of different things today as well, because not only are we going to be talking uh, baseball, we're going to be talking some uh, basketball, because of course the NBA Finals is on, and we've got a very, very special guest who's uh, going to be on the phone very shortly, three-time NBA champion. I was thinking, you know what, I feel like uh, getting a guest on this week who, uh, who, 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 do, who do I think, who do I know that uh, has played in uh, an NBA Finals before? I thought, well, you know what, let's get someone who's won three NBA championships with the Bulls in the late 90s. Mr. Luke Longley. So we've got Luke Longley on the show, and I did just say I knew him. I've spoken to him once in my life, so to me, that is, I do know him. He, he knows of me, so that that's, uh, that counts. You know what? I'm going to introduce you to a little theory here. I have a theory when traveling, and okay. this was introduced to me by my dad. States in America. Yep. You count how many states you've been to on if you've been on the ground in that state. Yep. Not for any amount of time, if yep. you've been on the ground. It's the same with the Luke Longley thing. I've yep. talked to him, therefore I know him. That's Perfect. fair enough. And he knows me. He probably has my number in his phone or something. I don't really know. Yeah. But the... Uh, well, he is because he's, he's going to call through very, very shortly, so he has to know my number to call it through. So that's that's coming up very, very shortly. Make sure you do stay tuned to, for, for Luke Longley because he's a tremendous chat, of course. Three-time NBA champion. Probably one of the, uh, Michael Jordan's best mates. I remember talking to him a few years ago when I was doing a, a show at uh, Sin Radio and uh, we had a chat with him and he was just name-dropping left, right and center. MJ, Scotty Pippen, all this sort of stuff. So hopefully he does a couple of those because I get very excited when he when he does that. But you know what? If you win three championships with the Bulls, you can name drop as much as you want. Like I'll be dropping Luke Longley's name. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Also, we're going to be chatting to Ben Yamkadane from BelieveTheHypeNBA.com. He, of course, is our usual correspondent for the NBA. But we thought, you know what? Because it is the NBA Finals, we're going to keep him for an entire segment. Not just like a little five-minute uh, rounding the bases we want to have him for an entire segment, so he's going to finish off the show. We're going to go through, we're going to preview the Warriors versus Cleveland series, which will be a tremendous series. And of course, it means that we have at least one Australian competing for an NBA final. It's either going to be Matthew Delvedova who takes it out, or it's going to be Andrew Bogut. So for two years in a row, there's going to be an Aussie winning the NBA finals, which is tremendous news. So let's get into uh, rounding the bases. Kicking us off on rounding the bases this morning is Xavier Player from Hewitt Sports Network. Xavier, thanks for joining us. Not a problem. Oh, at oh all. you're in the studio. Yeah, oh, yeah. Hello. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I'm just so used to talking to you on the phone. I didn't, I didn't see you there. No, no, not a problem at all. It was uh, not, not as difficult today because, as you say, I'm already here. So we're going to kick it off today by talking about Liam Hendricks. Liam Hendricks. All right. So we, we speak about him every week because he is uh, pretty much the only Australian in the major leagues at the moment. In fact, not probably. He is the only Australian competing in the major leagues at the moment. So how's he going? Look, not too bad. His overall record for the season is still uh, zero wins, zero losses, which there's nothing wrong with there as a relief guy. You kind of 
You come in, you do your job, you don't get the win, you don't get the loss. As long as he's not picking up losses, that's a positive thing. Earned run average for the season of 4.03. Yeah, that's about expected. Um, his last three starts, he pitched an inning against Seattle. When you say it's expected, by the way, what would your usual, what would be a typical ERA for a reliever? Look, a lot of the, a lot of relievers sort of throw, float between three and four. Yeah, so it's, so, it's around about the mark yeah, that he'd want to hit. Yeah, he. He'd definitely be happy with that, and the Blue Jays wouldn't have a problem with that either. Otherwise, he wouldn't be getting the um, the time that he's getting on the mound. He pitched one inning against Seattle on the 24th, didn't give up a hit, uh, and struck out three guys. So that's a good inning, obviously, because three up, three down. Uh, then, a couple of days later, he pitched against the White Sox, uh, gave up five hits in point two of an inning. Not a great start for him. That wasn't as bad as I was watching last week. Was it last week or the week before when I was watching Kansas City, and they gave up eight earned runs in the first innings against the Yankees? Yeah, last week. Start of last week. That was terrible. Uh, and then on the 31st, so just gone, he pitched a uh, 1.1 inning against the Twins, and striking out two. And I know the Twins are a team I've talked about this year as being a team where James Beresford might see some time in September with expanded rosters because they'll be potentially out of the playoff race. But I'm just looking at the standings now, and I have a bit of egg on my face at the moment because the Twins are half a game in front in the AL Central. Yeah. So, They've kind of popped up from nowhere. They, they have. They, it's they, still a very, they very a long start. way to go, though. And, and look, they played the Red Sox in the last week, and that's that's a guaranteed couple of wins for anyone this year. Well, so. you're, a, you're a Red Sox fan. Eduardo Rodriguez, in his first major league start, mind you, got the win for the Red Sox. They've been terrible recently. Joe Kelly's been more than terrible. But yeah. now you've got this young kid coming in, and he's playing really well. Yeah. Or played, or played really well, and he's, he's had one start, but... Fantastic. 7.2 innings pitched, one strikeout, uh, obviously a 1-0 record, won his first game. 22 years old, so he's younger than us, and he's he's doing more stuff. So, that, that's so are most thing, people in the majors, like Bryce Harper, Chris Bryant, all those guys. Yeah, the, I don't even like talking about it. The thing with the Red Sox is this year, and I follow a lot of Red Sox fans on Twitter, a lot of Red Sox fans follow me. People are torn between, eh, we're going to be good and bad. You kind of, once you accept that, the season's going to run a lot smoother. That's where I am. And then there's a lot of people who are like, we need to just blow up the entire team. <laughs> Which, I'm I'm sorry. Offensively, that's... you guys are all right, though. Well, you'd think so, but we're not scoring as well as we should be. Look, we've got Ortiz, Sandoval, uh, Ramirez, Mookie Betts. Um, yeah, who else is sure to be doing better than they're doing? Um, There's a bunch of them. You stole yeah, Sandoval you know. from us, but we're still yeah, going see, along all right. See, we're at the, we're we've at got pence up, hundred pence. That's all that matters. We're at the point now with our offense Giants. where I can't even name guys who should be doing well. That worries me. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's get back to the Aussies because so we've just finished talking about Liam Hendricks. Let's move on then to uh, Travis Blackley, who's also had some action over the last week. Now, as we talked about last week, his first start with the New Orleans Zephyrs uh, wasn't a great outing, but. His second start was far more successful. In his second start, he pitched 6.2 innings, uh, gave up five hits, two earned runs, struck out three guys, and walked one against the uh, Reno Aces and came up with a no decision. So still sitting in the 0-1-1 record, but his ERA has come down from uh, 9 to 5.4. So that's good. 11.2 innings. (laughs) That is good. So 11.2... good, but it's not bad. (laughs) No. Well, it's better than 9, so... Um, 11.2 innings in two starts. So, look, he's going in the right direction. And being in Miami, hopefully... I was just about to say he that. He makes the leap because Miami are struggling in all areas this year. They always struggle on the field since they've 
you know, become the Miami Marlins. And they've sacked their uh, they sacked their manager after however many games and brought in someone with absolutely no managerial yeah, the, experience. The ownership at Miami has always been something that's brought up questions. Uh, Jeffrey Laurie has a, a long history in professional sports of perhaps... Except the fact that they wanted to sign Trav Blackley. That was a yeah. tremendous move. Yeah, no, but... Yeah, that's good. But, yeah, going back to Jeffrey Laurie, he's always been a questionable decision-maker, and he's very mm. tight with his money, so... Which isn't really what you want from an owner of a team. Moving on to the other, other Aussies in the minors. We spoke about Trav Blackley, who is playing in the minors, but he is at least uh, in the sights of a major league team. Well, who are the other Aussies that we want to look out look, for? We'll just talk about Grant Balfour really quickly. Yep. Um, as I tweeted out the other day... With his contract, he had an opt-out option. So he's opted out of that contract. He's back to being a free agent. Well, um, what does that mean for him? That means that he's not currently anywhere. But what does that mean in the sense that will he make it somewhere else? Is that the end of his career or I, what do you think will happen? I personally think that this could be the end of the road for me. I hope I'm wrong. I would love to see him come back and play in the ABL this season. I think that would be a great way for him to finish his career. Yep. But so will I. So there, will I. there are teams who need him. So... He could go to a Boston, a Seattle, an o- Oakland, a Cubs as bullpen help, and he would he would fit in perfectly. But, you know, one of those things where, unfortunately, you're just not sure. Because teams at this point of the year, it's a month and a half out, or under a month and a half out from the All-Star break. So teams are really careful with who they're moving around at the moment because it's entering a really crucial part of the season. A big thing with a 162-game season in Major League Baseball is that not to say that no games don't matter, but the first thirty to forty games, it's it's a feeling out period. So we've just ticked over. We've to, seen teams go from last in their division to first, and vice versa, and you well, see it a whole bunch of times. Last year, the Kansas City Royals were only two games over five hundred at the yeah. All Star break, and they came within a couple of runs of winning the World Series. So they were a wild card, though. So that's a little bit different, but I understand what you're saying. It is, but it also goes to show that you don't need to be blowing the field away early to Stop. make things happen. Um, going to our minor league guys quickly, uh, two guys we're going to talk about today are Todd Van Stensel, who is in the Twins organization. For the year, he is 1-2 and two with a 2.45 ERA from 17 appearances. So that's really good for him. He's really shown that he's back in his groove. He's had some, some bad luck. He played in Europe for a while. He was playing affiliated ball. He got released. He re-signed. He got released. He's, so it's good to see that he's back and showing what he is capable of. Uh, the other guy we're going to talk about briefly is Logan Wade, who is a Queensland boy who was from the Brisbane Bandits, who, funnily enough, is also playing for the Fort Myers Miracle, where Van Stensel is. So these two are teammates this year, and that wasn't planned when I decided to talk <laughs> about these two guys. It's just that, you know, this year I, I'm pretty impressed with both of them. Um, Wade's played 33 games this year, 211 batting average. I don't, I'd like to see that a bit higher, but... That's even below the Mendoza line. That is below the Mendoza line, which is something we can talk about on another show when we've got a lot more time to explain it to people. Uh, one home run for the year, eight runs back in. He's been walked six times, pair of stolen bases. Uh, he's picked up hits in two of his last three games. So, not too bad. And also, just quickly, Sam Gibbons, another one in the Twins organization. Something about the Twins tonight has been promoted. So, fantastic effort by Sam to uh, be bumped up to the next level. Now, I don't know how to uh, end this conversation because we're about to go on and have a chat with Damien Arsenis from pickerandroll.com.au. I normally say goodbye to you, but you're staying in the studio. Well, so. look, 
I think the best thing to do here would be say, okay, thanks for this part. Let's move on to the next part of the show. Not make too big a fuss. All right, thanks for uh, talking to Baseball with the Saviour. I appreciate that. We'll uh, move on and uh, have a chat to you soon. Sounds good. Let's talk some hoops. Continuing on with Round of the Bases this morning is Damien Arsenis from pickandroll.com.au. Mr. Crokey Voice, how are you going? Yeah, not too bad. You, you got me on a good day. <laughs> you did say that. Apparently, you've had this for a month. Is that right? Oh, uh, yeah, I have. You, you should have heard me the last three weeks. I, I was as croaky as anything. Well, thankfully, no news particularly in, or particularly interesting news broke in the world of uh, Australians in, in college basketball because then we would have been stuffed. We would have tried to get you on the line and we wouldn't have been able to understand what you were saying. Yeah, I know. It's, it's all in the timing. Absolutely, and thankfully it happened this week, and Hugh Greenwood, who we've spoken about a lot on this show and who we had on uh, as an interview a couple of weeks ago, he's just signed a, a new deal with the uh, Perth Wildcats. Yeah, he's inked a three-year deal, his first professional contract with the Wildcats. Um, it does, um, however, have out clauses, because obviously he's got ambition to go to the NBA. Yep, rightly so. And, and, and potentially even Europe, so he's got out clauses in his contract, but three years contract with one of the most stable and successful on and off court operations we have in the NBL. So that's a very good signing for the Wildcats. And with Jermaine Beale and Damian Martin forms probably the most potent backcourt in the NBL next season. So it was a good job for the NBL to secure him relatively early. We did think there was a chance that he would get to Europe. Obviously, if he gets an NBA contract, he goes to the NBA. But how likely is it that he does move on to Europe rather than play for Perth? Is it just a matter of finding the right deal and then he's over there? Or is it the fact that he's pretty comfortable staying in Australia now? Look, I, I don't know. And I don't think you knows. I think it'll come down to any of the opportunities that may come his way. Um, with the NBA tryouts, he's already had one with the Utah Jazz this past week. So, And they've got a, a great connection with the Australians of having Joe Ingalls and um, Dante Exum last season and, and doing so well, particularly Ingalls, who did so well, you know, playing his role to perfection. And I guess if there's anything the Americans have learnt this past year is the Australians have a lot to offer with a high IQ type game because you only have to look at Matthew Delavadova and everything that he's achieved. And to a degree, that's... That's something that Hugh Greenwood could probably offer a team too. And they might like the fact that, like Della Vadova, uh, Hugh Greenwood's from an Aussie Rules background, which provides that little extra spark that everyone seems to be loving so much. That's right, and Hugh Greenwood has a great story. We've spoken about him throughout the season as well. He's He's got the pink pack going there, he's, the, he's charitable organisation. And I got my shirts a couple of weeks ago, they look fantastic. Awesome, you'll, you'll have to film in because uh, I haven't ordered one yet, so I've still got to do that. And... Um, yeah, you know, so he's he's been really good there. He's, he comes across really well with the media, um, and he's look. He's a genuinely good guy. We spoke to him, as you said, about a month or so ago. He's a great guy, and he's he's high IQ player. Um, he can shoot the ball. He does what he needs for his team. And team, and every time we speak about him, in some ways, he sounds like Matthew Delavadova. So you can't rule him out as being a chance. Another Aussie who has had an NBA tryout is Mitch McCarron, who recently worked out for the Nuggets. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about uh, the Division Two Player of the Year in Mitch McCarron. He's a New, New South Welshman, played for Metro State, which is the same um, university that the likes of Mark Worthington went to. I was just about to say that I thought it was, yeah. Yeah, so Mark Worthington and a few other Australians have been there. I think Jesse Wagstaff and a few other guys. So it, it's a school and one of the best schools in Division Two to, um, basketball, and he was a Player of the Year. So he, he's going to get a few looks. And as you said, he's already had a workout and he's been with the Denver Nuggets and did quite well. And for him, it's really stepping across the road given Metro State's in Denver. 
Absolutely. And I think that was the reason why he would have tried out for Denver because they were, he was kind of under their nose a little bit. Is there any chance that he does make a roster at some stage? How hard is it to jump from Div 2 basketball to the NBA? I assume it's a lot harder than Div 1. Uh, not necessarily because there's a, a pretty big gap between the haves and have-nots in Division 1 basketball. So, you know, some of those Division 2 teams would quite easily uh, account for some of those uh, low-level, even some of the mid-major basketball programs. And I think we, we've sort of talked about this um, previously on the program as to the, the standards and where and, and why some players transfer from Div 1 to Div 2 schools. And, you know, the, the upper echelon of the Division 2 schools is, is quite a good standard, and, and Mitch McCarron um, proved that a, a couple of years ago where he lit up the, the Diamond Head Classic and re- really outshone some of his more uh, fancy D1 opponents. So while these two guys are getting NBA workouts, they've also got the uh, World Uni Games on the horizon as well. Can you let us know about that? Yeah, the World Uni Games is coming up, and they're being headed up by uh, Boomers head coach Andre Lamanis. And the Basketball Australia are now treating this program as a a stepping stone to the Boomers um, program for for the senior squad. So um, Hugh Greenwood and Mitch McCarron, and and both of those guys are going to have more NBA workouts coming up. Um, But those guys are, are really headlining um, that program this year. And you've got the likes of Dan Trist, who we also had on our program this year. He's going to be part of that. Peter Hooley, we all remember what he achieved um, last season. So there's there's a lot of talent that we've been playing in college basketball last season are going to be headlining this team, along with the likes of Nick Duncan, um, Xavier Cooks, who we've, we've touched on, Mango Mathiang, and um, a few other guys like Darcy Malone, Keanu Pinder, um, just to name a few, and a, and a few other guys back from the NBL here in Australia as well. Damien, thanks for joining us again, mate. We appreciate it. No problem. Speak soon, guys. Finishing us up on rounding the bases this morning is Adrian Jansen from AussieGuysNFL.com. Mate, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you, boys? Very well, my friend. Very well. As hopefully is uh, Jared Hayne because he's competing in the 49ers OTAs at the moment. How's he looking? You know, he's doing all the right things, and it's it's really reassuring to hear Apparently, he's being a little bit of a workout warrior. He's certainly studying the playbook, and he's you know he's ticking the he's ticking the boxes, which is is really great news. So, do you think that the learning the playbook is one of the most difficult aspects that he has to overcome in order to land a spot on the roster, or is it more the physical side of things and the way that they tackle in that sport compared to uh, what he's used to in rugby? Oh no, it's the playbook for sure. It's the playbook for sure, and he, look, he does have a little bit of competition. Um, certainly, I've been hearing out of OTAs, Mike Davis, who was the fourth-round draft pick by the Niners, is doing pretty well. In actual fact, Carlos Hyde, I think during the week, had a bit of an ankle injury and Mike Davis was taking first-team reps. But it actually looks like, really, probably the, the spot that Jared has, is probably aiming for is really uh, kickoff and punt returns as opposed to running back. I think something that will be of great interest for Aussie NFL fans is if Hayne is becoming, I guess, a football nerd. We saw last week that Jameis Winston went to a Drake concert and took the playbook with him. Do you think Hayne's sort of built in that way as well, where he's going to have his head in the book 24 hours a day and just live, breathe, and eat and sleep it? I've got to give him credit. It really does sound like he's doing that. It really does. And, you know, it's interesting to hear that Winston's doing that because I know that certainly the Tampa Bay brass had a lot of concerns. Um, Firstly, it's all well and good he's bringing the playbook to a Drake concert. Why go to the Drake concert in the first place? I don't know. You can just stay at home and read. If you go to the Drake concert, you're getting distracted. You're not doing proper study. That's the type of study I was doing in year 12. 
That explains watching, a lot. Watching TV or, or, or going to a concert and trying to study at the same time doesn't mean he's, he's studying properly. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but when you're Jameis Winston, this sort of stuff can go viral. If you or I did it, we'd just look weird. This is true. Yeah, that's all right. At least he's kind of doing it, I guess, notionally. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it's good to see him do that. Yeah, and Jared's kind of, he's really following that path, which he, you know, he really does need to do. He's got an uphill battle anyway. And certainly with the news that Reggie Bush is in direct competition for him for that role as well. So it's going to be a long off-season. We always talk about this uh, with, with you when we talk about Jared Hayne, the fact that he has, still has a long way to go. Is, has anything changed from the start of the OTAs to right now? In your mind, has anything changed in the percentage that you would give for him to make the uh, the final roster? No, not at this stage. I mean, I if I was a betting man, I would probably still say he's going to wind up on the practice squad. But, you know, as you said, it's still the off-season. We have to see what happens. Uh, injuries will happen. Uh, there's going to be roster cuts. And, you know, he, he just has to step up to the plate and give it his give it his all. Absolutely. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us on the Flag Fight today for a quick update on Jared Hay. Mate, we'll speak to you soon. My pleasure, fellas. Catch you later. Chatting to Australians flying the flag in the US of A, this is the Flag Flyers. Next week, Andrew Bogut's Golden State Warriors will face off against Matthew Delavadova's Cleveland Cavaliers in the 2015 NBA Finals. It'll be the second year in a row that an Australian has won the Larry O'Brien Trophy after Paddy Mills and Aaron Baines won the championship with the San Antonio Spurs last year and the third time since Luke Longley won three with the Chicago Bulls in the late 90s. Luke Longley is our guest this morning on the Flag Flies. He joins us on the line now. Luke, welcome to the Flag Flies. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a while since I've flown the flag. Absolutely. Now, it seems to have gotten to the stage, man, where there's, it's no longer a novelty to have Australian playing in the, in the NBA playoffs. Obviously, we had you in the late 90s, which was terrific, and, and last year with the, the Spurs. But now we've got two other guys, and, and not only have we got these guys, but there's a whole lot of Aussies who are playing for very decent NBA sides at the moment. So it's not really the stage where it's, it seems to be a novelty anymore. It's getting to that stage. It's a purple patch of, um, of first-class proportions, and there's a couple of young guys coming through who are going to make names for, for themselves as well, so it'll be a long purple patch with any luck. Before we get into the upcoming series, let's take a look back at some of the other Aussies who've represented playoffs teams, specifically Cam Besto, the big man from the Bulls. Obviously, being an Aussie big man playing in Chicago, there's going to be a lot of comparisons drawn to you. The talent level isn't quite that yet for him, but do you see that changing in the next couple of years? Um, you know, I think Cam didn't really get a lot of opportunities this year, but he's one of those guys that uh, he just works, he works outworks everybody, and so those sorts of guys, you know, obviously they just continue to improve. And one day his opportunity window will open up. Uh, hopefully it's with the Bulls, but you know who knows where he'll end up. I know that he's desperate to play basketball uh, and not sit on the bench, so he'll try to he'll try to sniff out his best opportunity. I think uh, in the next few years and and try and get some court time, whether it's with the Bulls or someone else. We've obviously just seen Coach Thibodeau get sacked by the Bulls. Do you think that's a, a good thing for Cam? Will he be able to get an opportunity uh, with another coach? Because Tom Thibodeau is kind of known as someone who doesn't really like to search deep into his bench for, for talent. Yeah, that's true. No, that could work in Cam's favour, and um, well, time will tell. Time will tell. Australians seem to be a really good fit for the playoffs because of the intangibles they bring to the game, such as the work rate they command from themselves. And that not only comes on the court, but also from the gym and the ability to hustle on every play. And we see that a lot with Matthew Delavadova, and he's made a name for himself doing that. What are your thoughts on the way that he's playing throughout the playoffs, and do you think that he's a dirty player? 
Well, I'll start from the last part of the question. I think it's a ridiculous uh, notion that Delhi's out to hurt people. Um, you know, I find, on his behalf, I find it a bit offensive. He does hustle and value every possession. I've said this before, but it's, it's a bit of a novelty in, a, in, a, in America, the way he plays. He is, you know, he's that intense and into it. And, um, you know, the truth of it is, you know, Delhi's not the most talented bloke out there. In fact, he'd be the least, one of the least talented blokes out there. But so the reason he's there is that hustle. His, his calling card, his trademark, his meal ticket is his hustle and, and doing that extra, you know, those extra small things that separate him from all the other slow white guys with broken jump shots. <laughs> so, he's, you know, it, it's not that he's a dirty player, it's that he knows his role and he plays it, at, uh, plays it flat out. Exactly, and and since he did that, we've heard NBA players come out and say that the NBA is a brotherhood and and that they're all supposed to be looking out for each other there, and they don't want anyone going at each other's knees because of the fact that it is a brotherhood. Is that pretty much just a way of saying that no one wants to compete as hard as he does? Well, I haven't heard those comments. I don't know who was making them and and, and from what angle. But I think uh, Al Horford mentioned it, and I think J.R. Smith might have backed him up. So I've I've heard it from a couple of guys, but it just seems ridiculous the fact that. They're using brotherhood as kind of a guise for the fact that they don't want to compete as hard as they probably should. Yeah. Look, I um, obviously Al Horford was on the wrong end of some of Delhi's scrappy play, so so you can see where the agenda is there. Um, look, I know Delhi really well, and I've had discussions with him. Um, there's, you know, he just you know, he's just been on the wrong end of a couple of plays, but he's not a dirty player. LeBron James was pretty quick to defend Della Vadova and clearly loves the way that he goes about business. Why do you think uh, LeBron and Delhi have such a good relationship? Well, I think um, Delhi's one of those guys that when you're around him, you realise that he's got a lot of integrity. Uh, and, he, and, and as I mentioned before, that he's got there from um, out of hard work and hustle. And uh, if LeBron, LeBron obviously wants to win championships and he's learned over his time, but some of those qualities are... are very important. When you have one guy on a team that does that, it brings the other guys along. And I've read pieces, bits and pieces uh, about some of the other guys that end up in the gym with Delhi because he's in there. And they end up following his patterns because they're inspirational. And it, it's a little bit sort of uh, uh, dramatic to call him inspirational, but I actually think that that's what he is for those guys. And he's become part of their team personality for that reason. And that's why LeBron loves him. Well, we were seeing in the press conference after uh, those, that incident with Al Horford that uh, when one of the reporters tried to ask him what happened, that LeBron was trying to step in and, and, and take the heat off him, and, and Dallavar Dover calmly said, no, no, that's all right, I'll take it. Did Jordan ever have your back when uh, a bit of heat came your way? Oh, mate, I've, to be honest, that's 20 years ago, <laughs> <laughs> and about 100,000 interviews, but I, <laughs> you know, I'm sure MJ will certainly have my back on the court. Um, you know, there's, there's ways that you can have a heat in a... Uh, in a press conference, and you can have a heat when you miss a rotation, and and your guys go in the basket, and in those in those situations, MJ always had my back. So uh, that's that's how our relationship was built. So Paddy Mills was a big crowd favourite in San Antonio last year. Do you see Delhi as sort of having the same role in Cleveland this year? Some of it, some of it's very similar um, with a different skill package. What both of them have brought that you don't see a lot of in the NBA is that full court pressure, the defensive intensity, forty you know forty feet of defense and more. I beg your pardon. So uh, I think that's one of the reasons that the crowd loved Paddy was his uh, was his preparedness to give himself up for the for the team. Um, and you know Delhi's obviously out of the same mould. 
um, that's interesting, isn't it, that the Aussies are all sort of getting those sorts of uh, roles. I mean, Bogues is definitely someone that someone that has... Uh, he's a glue guy. He's a hustle guy. He's an intangible. People like him because he plays hard. He's a bit of an enforcer. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's some similarities there with the Australian product. And, and I sometimes think that's a little bit to do with the football culture here where guys are, are exposed to that a lot. Uh, sometimes I think it's because we do have to uh, have those things to, to make the next level because we don't have the same talent base uh, in a lot of cases. But whatever it is, though, I'm, I'm proud to see it. Well, I'm, I'm with you. Now, while the uh, the Cavaliers have Dalla the Warriors have Andrew Bogut, who plays kind of in a similar way and, and along with Dalla is kind of seen as a crowd favourite uh, with the Warriors uh, fan base. And you know what? It's he, he might not score as much as some of the other blokes on his team like uh, Curry or, or Thompson, but he certainly tries his heart out. His basketball IQ is phenomenal. His court vision is unbelievable. And his defensive prowess is just unbelievable as well. Do you think that behind Steph Curry that Bogut might be one of the most important players or the, or the most important player behind Curry for the Warriors? I'm not, I'm not going to try to rate uh, who's more important than others, but I do know that when, when Bogut's on the court, they look better. I know statistically that their defense is, is measurably better when Bogut's on the court. And I know that these teammates seem to have a little bit of an extra strut when Bogut's on the court. They feel backed up. You know, He's got that bit of menace that Every team likes to have, and Bogues is there, sort of the Grizzlies, the hairy dude in the background who, who provides them with that. And um, I really enjoyed it the other day when uh, Dwight Howard gave him a cheap shot to the yeah. face. And a lot of guys I've played with and have seen since would have flopped and carried on a wind and, and whatnot. Bogues took that one on the nose and squinted his eyes and just kept playing and barely even barely even made a scene. And um, to me, that sort of I think his teammates would have taken something from that. Like, um, I think that was a demonstration of resolve, and I thought it was great. Absolutely. I think he found himself in a position, a similar position uh, that you did when you play with the Bulls in that he's not relied on to be a scorer. He's got uh, Curry, he's got Thompson to do that. A whole bunch of guys in that team can score. He's only really there to kind of clean up the boards a little bit, and he does that perfectly. Doesn't set a bad screen either, just quietly. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, so we got that in common as well. No, he's... um. He's found his role, you know, and obviously since his elbow injury, his offensive game has uh, has struggled. But uh, he's, he's been finishing around the rim very effectively too. You know, he catches those lobs and, and gets those little ducking uh, post-up opportunities really effectively. I don't know what his field goal percentage is, but it would be high. This is the first time in NBA history we've seen two rookie coaches face off in the finals. How important is the role of the coach there come finals time? When you were in the finals, you were lucky enough to be working with Phil Jackson. How much was it about his leadership compared to the guys on the court? Yeah, well, by the time you, that's a good question, mate. But by the time you get to the finals, it's like asking which bit of the, which bit of the cake was the most important. Was it the chocolate <laughs> or the flour or the egg or the butter? Like, it's really hard to tell, mate, because you've been doing it for so long together that it's a, that you've baked something, and, and and how the ingredients fall out is is um really hard to say. Look, I, obviously Phil was 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 a was a massive ingredient. He was, he was a chocolate and a chocolate cake, but he was all still part of it. And and um, I think Phil, uh, Steve's done a great job this year. All those guys seem to be involved, whether they're major minutes guys or or contributors, uh, small contributors. They all seem to have. Uh, yeah, you know, they're all part of the recipe, and, and I think that's why they're winning. Now, who do you what, what? What do you think will be the difference in this series? If you could pinpoint something out of the way that both these teams are playing, or a certain player, what or who do you think will be the difference uh, in this series? Well, I think simplistically, mate, it'll be the offense, the the, um, 
the Golden State Warriors' offensive flexibility and uh, the number of weapons they've got and their their ability to score um, in transition and the half cut, a half court, and in a bunch of different ways. I think they're the more dynamic team offensively. Um, I think their puzzle is a lot harder to solve than Cleveland's offensively, and so um, so I think they'll, you know, I think that'll work for them. A lot of people have classified the Warriors as a jump-shooting team, and obviously there's a whole faux pas about jump-shooting teams not being able to win the NBA Finals. Do you classify the Warriors as a jump-shooting team because of how much they do rely on the three-point uh, line, or the fact that they can score in so many ways, do you see that uh, as a, a positive, I guess? Yeah, um, sorry, mate, a lot of things going through my mind when you, when you say that, because I think if you looked at our Bulls teams of the 90s, um, you know, I wasn't the most, while I was fantastic, I wasn't the most dominant um, post player in the world, as you alluded to, with me and Bogut being similar. And MJ and Scott took a lot of jumpers. Now, we didn't take as many three-pointers, but we took a lot of mid-range jumpers. So I'd have to argue that we'd, we, you know, and at least half of my points were mid-range jumpers. So I'd have to argue with those people and say that, you know, I think our three-peat would probably tell you that jump-shooting teams can, can win. Just lastly, what advice would you have for the guys who are playing in their first final series this year? Oh, I don't think I don't think there's any secrets. I think that still basketball, uh, that old Hoosiers thing of a rim still ten feet tall. Um, just try to focus on the things you can control and and enjoy the things that you can't, like the crowd and the hype and the, and all that sort of thing. I mean, it is it is to be enjoyed. I don't think you can hide from the spectacle. Um, but when it comes time to go to work, you know, it's still the same. you're doing the same job you've been doing all year. Luke Longley, thank you so much for joining us on the Flag Flies, mate. We really appreciate it. No problem. Good on you. Thanks for having me. Chatting to Australians flying the flag in the US of A, this is the Flag Flies. Welcome back to the Flag Flies with Chris Tyler and Xavier Player. We're going to be chatting to Ben Yemkadane from BelieveTheHypeNBA.com right now in the wake of the NBA Finals coming up later this week. Ben Yem, welcome to the show, mate. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Not a problem. Now, it is finally official, my friend. Warriors v Cavs, Delavadova v Bogut. First off, mate, out of those two players, who do you think will be involved in more technical fouls? Because it's kind of the situation this season where hey, Bogut's shown some uh, you know, physicality a little bit. Delavadova, as we know, has kind of come off a bit of a tumultuous series. Who's going to be involved in more scraps, man? Uh, if, we're, if we're talking technical fouls, I'll go with Bogut. If we're talking scraps, I'll go with Delhi. <laughs> I think that's probably fair enough. Speaking of scraps, is there any chance that, say, there's a loose ball, dying moments of a game, and Steph Curry and Delhi are the two closest players, that Delhi doesn't dive for it? <laughs> that situation doesn't exist. Delhi will go after every ball. Good. Competitor. That's what we want to hear. If he injures Steph Curry, I don't even care. It's, it's going to get to the situation where if, if that happens, because I think I was reading something throughout the week that Warriors fans actually love the way that Delavadova goes about his work. I think if they if they see Delavadova kind of go out Curry's legs a little bit, they might change their opinion. But it is a ridiculous situation, this whole um, uh, thing with Delavadova. We were talking to Luke Longley before about the fact that uh, a couple of players have come out and said that Delavadova needs to watch what he's doing because it's you know the NBA is a brotherhood, as they say. Do you find that ridiculous in the fact that they're kind of using this excuse of a brotherhood to kind of hide behind the fact that they don't need to hustle as much as they probably should? Oh, look, I think it's just a case of a couple of accidents because Delhi hasn't changed the way he's played. This is how he's always played. It's just these things happen and it just so it's in the playoffs and these games are sort of back-to-back, so the, the magnifying glass is on a little bit more. And, you know, if this was during the regular season even, I don't necessarily think it might be that big a deal, but 
because it was just sort of one day, one game. That's kind of all there was to talk about. But, you know, Delhi's got a lot of fans in the in the Bay Area. He's probably the second most popular player on the Cavs out there, so he's going to have a lot of support. Who do you think Delhi is going to be asked to guard throughout the series? Obviously, the Warriors' front court is unlike one he's seen so far in the playoffs. Well, it's going to be interesting because there's a lot of different options as far as, you know, the second unit guys. Sean Livingston uh, plays a lot of those minutes, but also I think uh, some of those switches might come up where he ends up defending Clay Thompson uh, or even getting in uh, to Steph Curry as well. So there's going to be a few different guys out there, I think, uh, for him in the backcourt. So he's got a pretty tough assignment with the, the plethora of talent that the Warriors have there. So the reason why Delavadova got so much game time in the Eastern Conference Finals is because Kyrie Irving was injured. How's he coming up and, and, and will he be right for game one? Will he is, is he all set to go? I think he will be right to go. I'm not sure if he'll be 100%, though. He did look pretty good in Game 4 against Atlanta. He looked pretty confident. He went uh, pretty hard to the basket quite a few times, took a couple of knocks and fell down and, and didn't look to, uh, you know, to come up too bad. So I think with this week off, a little bit of rest and, and you know, hopefully having a little bit more time in practice, he should be okay. And I, I think he'll definitely be right to go, but I'm not sure if he'll be 100%. But I think from everything I've read and seen, he looks like he's about you know, 85 90%. And you know, Kyrie Irving at that health, I think, is still a very damaging player. Will he be on a minutes restriction at all, do you think? I don't think so. I think they'll, they'll try and just sort of take it as they come. But you know, with, with Delhi having uh, that sort of run in him for having that sort of uh, minutes coming into the, in the, into the finals, I think they'll be happy to sort of you know, maybe sub him out. And, and just depending on how the flow of the game goes, I think they'll try and play it from there because they have the luxury of having a guy like LeBron who can take over a lot of the... Uh, uh, a lot of the playmaking. So, you know, Kyrie can even get some rest out on the court, as ridiculous as that sounds in a final situation. Uh, Bogut's injury history has been fairly well documented, and obviously being a number one pick in the draft, a lot of pressure comes with that, and he's faced that pressure throughout his career, and he's always been really good with handling the expectations that come with being the number one. But now he's at the point where he's entering his first final series. How do you think he's feeling? I think he's, A, I guess, kind of relieved to an extent because he's worked really, really hard to get to this point as far as overcoming what's probably been about five years of, of pretty serious injuries and setbacks. So for him to get his body right uh, and be playing you know, con- consecutive games and series and, and, and be playing well as well, I think there'll be an element of relief. But I think confidence as well because he's been playing really, really well this postseason, whether it's blocking shots, picking passing lanes, uh, defending at the rim and in the pick and roll. He's, he's really had to do a little bit of everything so far. So I think he'll be pretty confident uh, especially coming up against two pretty big dudes in, uh, in Mozgov and uh, Tristan Thompson. I was just about to mention that because obviously last series he had to compete against Dwight Howard, which was quite a physical matchup, and Dwight Howard being one of the best big men in the league. How will he go against Mozgov compared to how he went against uh, Howard? Because if he can handle Howard, he Mozgov, as good as he is, is probably someone of a step down from Howard. Well, I think in terms of physicality, yes, Dwight Howard's obviously a lot stronger than most guys, but Mozgov, he's big, and... and that's a very simple way of putting it, but he's really, really deceptively long. He's got huge arms. He's a really tall guy that kind of doesn't almost play to his side. So sometimes he kind of surprises you when he finishes some of these lobs or, or will take some of those dunks at the baseline. So I think his size might give Bogut uh, a little bit of trouble, but Bogut does have that strength and, and that great body positioning that he think, I think he'll be able to work around that. But that should be a pretty interesting matchup, especially uh, how uh, Mozgov's been playing in the pick and roll and, and finishing at the rim. I think the Cavs will look to get him involved uh, on offense because that was when they kind of looked their best was when they were getting a lot of run through Mozgov and that opened up so many things for them against Atlanta. Now, obviously, an Australian is going to win a ring this year. But one of my favorite things to do in the last couple of days with huge NBA fans and experts like yourself is say, well... Who do you think deserves the ring more? 
Do you think it's Delhi or Bogut who deserves it more at this point of their career? Because I'm torn on which way to go here. That's a tough one. It's a tough one because I think, you know, Bogut in terms of being in the league for a decade has definitely done a lot more to get to this point. But that's my spot on because that's that's just a time thing. He's only been in the league, you know, nothing but two seasons. But they've both worked incredibly hard to get to this point. But I think, you know, in, in that conversation, I think Bogut's probably overcome more. Uh, but again, I think that's just a, a, a time factor. But, you know, either way, we can be pretty happy that we're going to have one of these guys uh, coming out on top. But even still, the fact that we've got two guys in the finals is, is insane and a great, uh, I guess, measurement of how, how far we have come as a basketball country. What do you think will be the biggest difference in this series? Either a player or something that happens? What or who do you think will be the biggest difference between these two teams and eventually determining the outcome of the series? Well, I'm pretty interested to see how the benches come up against each other, which is more to do with the fact that the Warriors' rotation is so deep. The Cavs are only running about eight or nine, uh, or probably more eight deep at the moment right now. You're looking at J.R. Smith and Delhi as the, as the first two guys come up the bench, whereas the Warriors have this second unit with Livingston, Iguodala, uh, Barbosa, and they, they push the pace. They, they work in transition really well. And for the Cavs, they don't want to have that situation where the second unit builds on the lead, and then all of a sudden, by the time Steph Curry comes back in the game, you're down 15 points. So I think how the second units kind of balance each other and feel each other out will sort of be a pretty big indicator on uh, on where the series goes. Obviously, we liked uh, speaking specifically about the Australians in this series because that is what we do here at the Flag Flies. But on a broader note, what do you think it'll do for LeBron James's legacy? Obviously, a lot of people claim him to be the best player ever to play ahead of Jordan. Some people say he's behind Jordan. There's going to be a lot of talk about his legacy, as there always is around this time of the year. What do you think he has to lose if uh, the Cavs don't come away with the championship uh, at the end of the series? I don't necessarily know if he has a lot to lose. I guess, obviously, when you're in the finals and you're in his position, there is that sort of pressure. Uh, But I think he's got a lot more to gain because this title run, so to speak, there were so many times during the season where it looked impossible, like it was dead in the water, whether it was when they started at 19 and 20, whether it was when LeBron had that two weeks out, or you can point to the Kevin Love injury, or the um, you know when they were just sort of getting all these new players in, we didn't know if that was going to work. So there's a bit of that five or six times during the season when we thought, okay, here we go, the Cavs are going to fall over. So the fact that they've A, got to this point, and LeBron you know has nearly been averaging a triple-double with 30 points, you know 10 rebounds, and just shy of 10 assists to, to kind of drag the Cavs to this point, I think if he wins this title, this does a lot for his narrative and his career story and, and things that we love talking and speculating about. I think this will be probably the best championship for him if he if he does come through with the Cavs. Do you think whether the Cavs win or lose will at all, uh, I guess, um, determine where Matthew Delvedova finds himself next season? Well, I think he's got a team option with the Cavs for next season, so I think he'll definitely uh, pick that up. He signed that two-year deal, so I think they'll be uh, pretty happy to have him back. And then where to from over there? Do you reckon he'll kind of do what uh, Paddy Mills did at the end of last season? Because a lot of people kind of thought once he hit that uh, vein of form, I guess, that he would try to find uh, a bit more money elsewhere. And thankfully, he stayed with the Spurs. Do you think Matthew Delvadova, if he does continue on with this form and, and show form like Paddy Mills did last season, that he could uh, eventually find some uh, better money elsewhere? Or do you think he'd like to stay in Cleveland with LeBron if he uh, you know, gets the opportunity to, if, if the Cavs want him to stay? Well, it's a pretty nice little situation he's got there, but Delhi loves it in Cleveland, and, and the organization loves him as well. I think they're And LeBron really- loves him. That's all that matters. I, LeBron's I, the coach. LeBron's the GM. LeBron is everything. If, if LeBron wants you, you probably want to stay, don't you? 
Well, that's the thing. This is a, a great situation for Delhi, and, and he's really enjoying you know, living in Cleveland, playing in Cleveland with that, with this team, and and the organisation's a great fit for him, and and I think they'll reciprocate that and, and try and keep him around for as long as possible because you know he, he's kind of become one of those guys that is sort of the, the heart and soul of the team. I actually love this relationship between LeBron and Delhi. I think we mentioned last week the fact that LeBron kind of tried to jump in and protect Daly last week when the reporters asked him about the incident with Al Horford. So he clearly cares about Daly Vadova and wants to protect him when he can. So they've got that nice brotherly brotherly relationship. That's hard to actually say. But obviously we've got the Splash Brothers in uh, Golden State. I want to come up with a new name for uh, Della Vadova and, uh, and and LeBron. So it's the Splash Brothers against the Something Brothers, but I can't figure out what. I've been trying to think all week. Is Crash Brothers good enough? Because Della Vadova loves crashing the pack. Can you kind of say it's the Crash Brothers against the Splash Brothers? Does that even work? Oh, that rolls off the tongue. It rolls off the tongue. I think, I think it's one you might have to take to the Twitter sphere. I think there'll be some good ideas out there. I think uh, we'll, we'll do our very best. At the flag flies and also. What, what, what's your Twitter address? I keep forgetting. Uh, just at Ben Kadane. Perfect. Oh, yeah, that's right. And then you just go believe the hype, NBA.com, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us, as you always do. We'll get you on next week to uh, give an update on how this series is going. You've, of course, got your podcast on this week. What do you got coming up? You've got your preview uh, show, don't you? That's right. We'll have an NBA Finals preview show coming out on Wednesday. So we'll just be going through the series, looking ahead, uh, you know, things we like, things we want to look at, some X's and O's, and, uh, and who's going to make the difference. So we'll have a pretty uh, thorough preview episode uh, coming out on Wednesday. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us, mate. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. That brings us to the end of another edition of the Flag Flies today. But there is something that I did want to mention that we forgot to mention at the top of the show, Xavier, and that's the fact that LSU, the basketball team, are coming down under, of course, LSU with two Australians, Ben Simmons being the uh, the exciting one, or not the exciting one, but the one that most people are going to be looking out for because he's pretty much projected to be top five, top ten pick uh, in coming years' time. So it's a tremendous uh, announcement from LSU. I think they're going to play in August uh, 20 uh, against Melbourne United, the venue TBC. And then on the 22nd of August, which is a Saturday against Melbourne United again at the State Basketball Centre. So we see a lot of basketball teams with Australian representation come down and play these exhibition games. LSU is one of the biggest ones I think that we've seen in some time. So it's going to be very exciting to get... Um, to get them down here and, and getting a look at Ben Simmons firsthand. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what Simmons got firsthand. Obviously, you can have a look at the mixtapes and you can have a look at the highlight reels. The mixtapes are always going to flatter someone. The, 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 the alley-oop dunk to himself and all that yes. sort of stuff. Like, that's all well and good, but I want to see what he can do firsthand and I want to see when he, what he can do when he's up against senior opponents, not kids his own age. And that's not taking anything away from what he's done, playing high school ball against kids his own age. But when he's going to be up against... Guys from Melbourne United who are fully grown adults who have been playing pro for a couple of years, and, and people, then it's a different story. Exactly. People might say, you know what, NBL, the quality might not be there, but you hear about these stories with people coming from college basketball to the NBL and saying how physically tough it is, how much faster it is. So even though it might not be up to the quality of the NBA, it is still a lot tougher and a lot faster than the college game. So playing against Melbourne United isn't exactly going to be a, a walkover by any stretch of the imagination. If, if anything, Melbourne United go in as favourites and they are going to put up a big you know, contest. Yeah, I would definitely always have the pro team as favourites playing the college team. Now, just talking about LSU and basketball and big recruits, yep. the biggest name ever to play for LSU basketball Shaquille is Shaquille O'Neal or uh, the American Nathan Jaywa. <laughs> Which is a reference to something we talked about earlier in the show. Outback Shack being, of course, Nathan Joy's nickname. Exactly. Um, so when he was being recruited by LSU... <laughs> when he was being recruited by LSU, 
he went down one weekend and it was during football season. He's at the football game, so gets to halftime and Tiger Stadium, I think, holds 93,000, maybe a few more. And all the lights go out. No blackout or anything. And uh, a spotlight comes on and that's shone directly on Shaquille O'Neal. And the PA announcer says, hey, everyone, this is Shaquille O'Neal. He's a highly rated uh, basketball prospect. He's down here to check out coming to to LSU potentially to uh, rep some ball for the Tigers. Give him a round of applause if that's what you want to see. So the whole stadium stands up and goes nuts. Now, I know this because I read his autobiography. And I know this because you've told me. I have. It's a good story. (laughs) That's why I've told you. And I'm now telling our wonderful listeners. But I read one of them. That was one of the more interesting stories in Shaq's autobiography, which, fantastic read if you ever get the chance. Come across it in a bookstore or a library. Pick it up. A really good way to spend an afternoon. Absolutely. I think I've heard a story that Ben Simmons, in the way that he's got to LSU, there's a lot more excitement about the fact that he's coming then was the case for Shaquille. And it might be because of this whole mixtape culture kind of thing and a lot more people know about the players before they come to college. But I think it was one of our contributors, I can't remember who, but they were saying that a lot of LSU fans are genuinely more excited about the prospect of having Ben Simmons play for them than they were at the start of Shaq's career. Obviously, his career was phenomenal and he contributed a lot to that club. But at the start, before he even played a game... I think Ben Simmons, according to whoever was that contributor at the time, they said that uh, that Ben Simmons is getting a lot of getting a lot of people excited over there. Two things here for me: one, if you're that contributor, contributor, let us know. We don't like doing things without giving people credit who have brought them to our attention, do exactly. we, Chris? And secondly, I think that's fantastic, but a lot of it comes down to the internet, as it we were does. talking about. Yeah, it's availability tape generation. That's why. There's so much hype, or there was so much hype, I think it's died down a little bit now, for Thon Maker. Yeah, definitely. I think we look back a year and a half, two years ago, his hype was huge. It's not as much as it was. He's still going to be very good. But, yeah, it's, and that all started because of what he put online. Exactly. That's always going to be the case. And now you're seeing people getting excited about 12-year-olds and all this sort LeBron of stuff. James is, LeBron James Jr. LeBron James Jr. How old was he? Is he 12? Yeah. Someone but there was, stuff was coming out about him when he was nine. But that's also because of the fact that he's LeBron James Jr. Yeah, but that doesn't guarantee anything. And I don't think it will, but we'll see how it goes. Anyway, that brings us to an end of uh, the Flag Flies today. Xavier, thank you so much. You did a tremendous job of filling in for Lockie today, so thank you very much. Thank you very much. Hopefully I'll uh, be back here soon. Uh, well, I think you might be back next week. We'll see how we go. If you're available, we'll see how yep. we go. I'll, I'll uh, look at the diary and see yeah, when Lockie uh, comes back. Few, but you're more than welcome. Few few irons in the fire for next week. I know <laughs> we've talked about, so stay tuned. Absolutely. That brings us to the end of the show today. You can hit us up on Twitter at The Flag Flies as well as our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash The Flag Flies. If you want to hear the show once again, you can hit us up on our iTunes page. Just search for The Flag Flies there or sen.com.au and find the podcast at our podcast page. Sweet dreams.